word of the happy Goodmans, we've got the excited waters. Listen, what you see and we often see We, we see the kids up here and we're like, oh, isn't that sweet? And it is. Let me tell you what I see. Uh, I see a family that has grown in the 10 years I've been here, almost 10 years. Uh, Pate wasn't even out yet when I started. Uh, but to see them grow and serve, I, I see a church that cares about young families. I see a children's minister and workers who teach kids who Jesus is. I see a godly dad and mom who bring them to Sunday school, who bring them on Wednesday nights, who leads. And some of my favorite pictures over the last 10 years are with the children of this church, and they're in just about all of them. And uh, whether we're all cutting up, making faces, or whatever, but it's not just the kids, uh, it's the parents who enjoy who God is in their life. And I'm thankful for Timmy and Elena, uh, for Haddon, for Cameron, and for Pate, and their faithfulness, faithfulness this morning. Amen? Amen. Turn with me to Numbers chapter 22. Numbers chapter 22. Now, even though last week was Easter, uh, the official day, every day is Easter for a believer, amen? So we talked about how Jesus went forward to the cross and went forward before the throne of God, uh, having shed his blood for the remission of sins. But we jump back into our theme of the year of going forward. And we must continue to go forward. You remember the first week of this year, we said anything that's not going forward is backing up. Because the world continues to turn. And even though we uh, sometimes don't want to look at the clock, it does not stop because you avoid it. It's still real. And time continues to tick. By, We must move forward. But you know, sometimes in our lives, we can move forward the wrong way. We can move forward the wrong way. Listen, some people will do anything to get what they want. Amen? Groupies and social media influencers want to be associated with fame and fortune. And so they're hangers-on. They try to be around richer people and try to get their face out there and their comments heard and known. Politicians make deals for power and profit. We point our fingers at them and we say, oh man, look how they are. All politicians and all of Hollywood and all the athletes and all of this, these people are all about their self and many are. I want you to ask yourself a question. What makes you move forward? And I had to do some self-inspection with this. What makes me move forward as a pastor? What makes me move forward as a believer in Christ? Is it the idea of being needed or recognized? Because that's not the reason we should move forward. Well, I've got to keep going because they need me. I'm telling you. You are as a drop of water in the ocean. And yes, people will miss you when you're gone, but the world will keep turning. You have become a slave to your job and thinking, they cannot survive without me. They did before you got there, and they will long after you are gone. We often think we must be needed and we must be recognized. Is it the hope that God will shower material blessings upon you? I'm going to be faithful and God's going to open up the storehouse of heaven and all the blessings. I'm going to tell you, a lot of the times the things that we say God has blessed us with, God hadn't been within 100 miles of it. 
Because some of the things we say, oh man, look how God has blessed me with a new house and a new car and a better job and I'm making more money. And it gives us more tools to separate us from walking in the center of God's will. Do you think God blessed us with that? Many churches have split because someone wanted to do it their way with no thought to what God wanted. I want you to hear this today. Private agendas become public disasters. Private agendas. What you want out of life, what you want out of church, what you want in the music, in the Sunday school class, in the men's or the women's ministry, in the children or the youth, what you want as a private agenda can become a public disaster. Elijah prophesied before God and he did so because God told him to and for no other reason. He wanted what God wanted. That's where we ought to be. We ought to want what God wants. Do what God says do. Balaam did what he did for Balaam. Balaam was all about him some Balaam. You know, Balaam stopped in the mirror every morning and said, Man, I look good. I'm smart and people like me. They're going to want me. No, oh, I can name my price. Balaam was all about Balaam. Now the question begs, which one are you? Elijah, thus saith the Lord, because the Lord said it to you? Or Balaam, who did what Balaam wanted? In this day, in this age of Balaam's, we need to be Elijah. Today I want us to look at how Balaam lived and what went on in Balaam's life. A very, very familiar text. Uh, much like the failed man. We read about and we put the emphasis so many times on a donkey named Grace. But today I want us to see how Balaam moved forward. The wrong way. Look in verse 1. Then the children of Israel moved and camped in the plains of Moab on the side of the Jordan across from Jericho. That's it. You're looking at it. Down there, I'm in the promised land taking the picture. And at the bottom, the, and it was real hazy that day. Uh, but you can see there's a city down there in the bottom. And that is the oasis better known as Jericho. Just on the other side is Mount Nebo. And what happened at Mount Nebo? Anybody? That's where God buried Moses. You see, a lot of things happened in that one picture right there. And here we pick up the story. Now Balak, the son of Zippor, saw all that Israel had done to the Amorites. And Moab was exceedingly afraid of the people because there were many and Moab was sick with dread because of the children of Israel. You know what it means to be sick with dread? He woke up thinking about it. He couldn't eat because he thought about it. He couldn't sleep because he thought about it. All day long he thought my kingdom is going to suffer if not cease to exist. It worried him sick. So Moab sent to the elders of Midian. He said, now this company will lick up everything around us as an ox licks up the grass of the field. And Balak, the son of Zippor, was king of the Moabites at that time. Then he sent messengers to Balaam, the son of Beor, at Pethor, which is near the river in the land of the sons of his people, to call him, saying, Look, a people has come from Egypt. See, they cover the face of the earth and are settling next to me. How dare they? 
Therefore, please, I beg you, come at once. Curse this people for me, for they are too mighty for me. Perhaps I shall be able to defeat them and drive them out of the land. For I know that he whom you bless is blessed, and he whom you curse is cursed. I'm going to tell you something. When someone is not associated with God, they don't understand God, they want to be blessed, they will do everything they possibly can, grasping at straws to retain their power and their authority. So the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed from the with the diviner's fee, the cost to pay for Balaam in their hand. And they came to Balaam and spoke, in, spoke to him the words of Balak. And he said to them, lodge here tonight and I will bring back word to you as the Lord speaks to me. So the princes of Moab stayed with Balaam. Today I want us to look at how Balaam, first of all, had a wrong relationship. He had a wrong relationship. Notice with me. He was on the outside looking in. Balaam was a Mesopotamian prophet. They had to send, he had to come a long journey to get to where Balak was. But all he could think of is, I have a king calling for me. There is no telling what they're going to pay me. And you'll see he was all about the money. He was all about the blessings on him and being recognized. First of all, his name, the name Balaam, literally. Now, we take the word Balaam in the Hebrew, the Old Testament. It is a Greek word that came about. And I won't explain the full etymology, but it came from the Old Testament being translated into Greek, the Septuagint, and it literally means for, foreigner or not of the people. His name literally means foreigner or destroyer. You see, he would never be an Israelite. He could be a proselyte. He could have been completely swallowed up in faith and trusting God. We see that throughout Scripture. We see God change the life of a woman named Rahab who was not an Israelite in Jericho, right? This is yes. Rahab honored God and his people, and in so doing, God honored her. Not just in protecting her and her family from his judgment and destruction on the city, but if you'll read the genealogy of Jesus, you'll find a little five-letter name of an Old Testament woman named Rahab. You see, just because... You're not there does not mean you can't be with them. But he was a foreigner and always would be because he always chose his personal priority over that which was God. He was not of the people. That was one of the reasons Balak chose him because he was known as one who cursed. He would come in and he would curse people and they brought him just for his negative prophecies. Now, did they always ring true? I sincerely doubt it. For he was not a true prophet of God. But you know, a psychic and horoscopes can be so vague that they sucker even in Christians to think, oh man, that's me. It is so widespread of people who will turn to these things. Listen, even King Saul sent for a witch. But let me remind you, God used that witch to speak. You see, Balaam was a destroyer. Are you one who simply looks to be negative about everything and everyone? You're always looking for the fault. You're always looking for the negative. What is it that, that you can find wrong with the situation? You know, it doesn't matter. 
If they go to the best restaurant in the world, they'll find a problem with it. They cook the bread too long. The steak's underdone. They'll find something wrong. They put too much salt. They didn't season it enough. It's like the two brothers at Christmas. One was an eternal optimist and to the point that he would just, just get on everybody's nerves because he couldn't see bad in anything. And then the other brother, he couldn't see anything good at all. All he saw was negative. That's all he saw. And so mom and dad said, for Christmas, we're going to try to level the playing field. We're going to try to see, get the negative one to see positive and the positive one to see the negative. And so these two brothers got up on Christmas morning. One drug in there and thought, oh, I bet this is really going to be fun. And the other one was about to throw up. He was so excited. I can't stand it. I can't stand it. And they look in the living room and there is one bicycle. Not two, one. Two brothers. That doesn't make sense, does it? And that one brother, the negative brother, they pulled him over and said, son, this is your bike. The other brother didn't say a word. He didn't say, where's Bubba? He didn't say a word. He just stood over there. Matter of fact, he was excited. He said, you got a bike. Man, what a great Christmas. You got a bike. And you know what that brother said? He said, I'll probably fall off and get killed. They didn't even get me a helmet. Good grief. Do they not care about me? Are they trying to kill me? And they looked. They said, well, I don't know. Let's see if it works on the other one. And so they brought the other one and said, your presence outside. And they brought him and he just couldn't stand it. And they jerked the door open and he ran out. And there on the front yard was a pile of horse manure. Stacked this high. Horse manure. And the boy jumps in and I mean he's slinging it everywhere and he's so excited. And they said, what's wrong with you? He said, I know there's a pony under here somewhere. <laughs> Which one are you? God's give you a brand new bike and all you do is complain. You see, Balaam was that guy who pronounced negativity, and pain, and destruction. He was duplicitous. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, There are many who have the form of godliness, but deny the power thereof. Churches are full of it. All you have to do is read. Many people have texted me and sent me links to stuff, and sometimes I've seen it, sometimes I haven't, but it never ceases to amaze me at how far some who used to be faithful to the word of God, who trusted God. I don't get rattled when I see lost people say lost people stuff, okay? It's when people who ought to know better, people who trusted and God has done great work in their lives, then capitulate because they become duplicitous in life. They want God but they want God to give them what they want. That's Balaam. He had a wrong relationship. You don't know why? He had a distracted mind. What has distracted you? Job? Relationship? Excitement? Joy? Money? The list goes on and on. Right now, between you and God, you know if you're distracted. We let little things distract us. We become overburdened by the things we inflict upon ourselves and then say we don't have time for God. I'm going to tell you something. When God said that you've got to worship Him unless under special circumstances, which in that term is your ox is in a ditch, does not include if you drove him there. We say, I can't tithe because we bought all the play toys of this world and we got too many bills to pay. Can I tell you something? You'll never get ahead until you sell something and get right with God. 
Oh, and by the way, I would highly urge you to pay it up in arrears. If you miss three house payments and you catch it and, and, and you make the next one, are they going to let you just skip them? Well, how much more does God deserve? Does God deserve more than the bank? Does God deserve more than the lending company? And, and, and I want you to understand, it's not the bank's money to start with. That's through deposits and other things. They make money off of that money. God says it's all mine to start with. We must stop being duplicitous, being distracted in our mind. You see, look in verse 8. I want you to see something. So they sent, you know, and Balak's all worried, and he gets his people, and he says, go get me somebody. And they said, oh, Balak's down there. And they went on this long journey, and they took all this money. But look what he says in verse 8. And he, he said back to them, Lodge here tonight. If you miss everything else I say today, I want you to hear this. When Satan knocks at your door, the answer is no. Not come on in, let's talk about it. You crack the door and Satan will not just sit down in your living room. He's going to come to your bedroom. He's going to occupy your kitchen. He's going to be in the darkest recesses of the closets and the hallways of your home. He will roam to and fro wherever he wants if you let him inside. Your answer must simply and emphatically be no, you're not coming in here. God's word says in the New Testament, when those who are cultists, those who worship idols come to your door, the Bible says, don't even grant them God's speed. In other words, not only do you not let them in, you don't even give them a blessing as they leave. God says, get them out of here. Problem in America is we have tried to walk on both sides because we're so afraid of hurting somebody's feelings. There's going to be a lot of feelings that were not hurt. But their eternity suffers forever in damnation because believers in love didn't speak truth. Y'all hear me? Wrong relationship. He should have simply said, no. Second of all, Balaam had a wrong motivation. You see, his heart was dark. It's just He had a dark, dark heart. You ever met somebody and walked away and felt like you needed a bath? Just darkness. I was reminded by one of our mission team members that went to Guatemala. How many of you went to Guatemala? And I mentioned this other night, we went in a place to go to the restroom, a place, and I may have mentioned this last Sunday, or Wednesday, I don't know, I'm old, things run together. But it was an altar to Mashimo, much like Santeria, and it was just dark, and the spirit of Satan was all around that place. I've been in some of those places in Israel that the idol worship, and been around and in a Mormon ward and in other places where Satan had worshipped. We have walked down the street in New Orleans where they're reading palms and the tarot cards and other things and you just feel dirty and you're like, oh God, I don't belong here. You see, Balaam had a darkened heart. He said in verse 7, the elders of Moab and the elders of Midian departed with the diviner's fee in their hand. Three times. Now this is how wicked Balaam was. Three times in the New Testament it mentions him. Second Peter, Jude, and Revelation. The first one in Second Peter said that he was one who loved the way of unrighteousness. The Bible says a man will be known by his acts. 
And a good name is to be chosen above great riches, right? Y'all know the story, the historical story of where this, the, the, uh, the saying, your name is mud? Your name will be mud. If you do that, your name will be mud. You see, it was an unassuming doctor who had nothing to do with the plot that on a, on a very dark and dreary night, a man, several men come to his door out in the middle of the Virginia countryside. And they said, our, our friend is hurt. Can you help him? And he came in and he helped him. And their friend slept out in the woods. And he stayed in the barn. But he had a broke leg and they patched him up and sent him on his way. And in a day or two, the federales come knocking. And said, did you entertain some men in your home? He said, well, I did. Did you render aid to one of them? He said, I did. He was hurt. He said, that man just killed our president. His name is John Wilkes Booth, and you're under arrest for treason. He was later acquitted for it. But from that point on, he died bankrupt. Nobody would go to him because of this unassuming act of seeming kindness. And so the name Mud is associated with John Wilkes Booth and the night of the assassination. So many times in our lives, we choose that way of unrighteousness and our name becomes mud. You know of people, and I'm going to tell you one thing that kills me is being able to look at someone's life and say, they're going to turn 21 in prison. Maybe life without parole, I'm not sure. Some of you will get that. Wink, wink, nod, nod. But I've literally stood, John, you know what I'm talking about. Stand, and I want the best. And we've done our best here in this church, but I've looked at young men. I've looked at young girls and thought, unless they turn to God, they're going to end up in prison or dead. And one that rocks me worse than anything is a boy I had in middle school that was probably one of the best athletes I've coached here in Claxton. Who a year and a half ago in a drug deal in Vidalia was shot and killed. A year older than Ethan. That was nothing but respectful and kind. Who sat in that room right there. The way of unrighteousness says materialism matters above all else. Show me the money. That's all that matters. It doesn't matter what people think. We've got, we've got to be willing to sacrifice our principles and everything else so that we go along to get along because at the end of the day, all that matters is the bottom line figure. It's all about the money. It's about the things. It's about the clothes. It's about the vehicles. It's about the house. It's about the prestige. Listen, Balaam was all about the way of unrighteousness. He loved it. He loved the things. My friends, things will wreck your life. Sometimes it's the thing you want the most that brings you the greatest heartache. I want her. I want her. She is the one. He is the greatest. I want him. And your parents warn you, and God warns you, and everybody else. And life, from the moment you say I do, you wished I didn't. But all that matters is what you wanted. Sometimes we want something better and we miss God's best. Amen? The way of error, Jude calls it. Jude calls, I mean, Jude doesn't mince words. He's like, I'm going to say what I need to say. It is not going to take me seven chapters. He just says it in one little short letter. 
He said that Balaam's was a way of error. A way of error. I used to love when kids first start playing ball. Baseball, t-ball. Without fail, 99% of them is going to run anywhere but first base. They're going to run out there and see their friend. They're going to run to second base. They're going to run everywhere. Or if they run to first, they just keep running. They'll run all the way to the fence, make two or three laps, and we're all laughing and having a big time. The problem is when you grow up, you ought to know better. But the problem is we keep going in the way of error when we know we've been down this path before, but we're too hard-headed, nicer way to put it, to say this is not going to end well. Why? Because we put prosperity as the priority. Church, I want a big crowd. I want us to have the best of everything. I want us to do what God wants us to do, but I want us to do it when God says, how God says, and why God said do it. And it's not so that people will know Eastside's a big church and Eastside's the best. Is because Eastside loved Jesus. We play for an audience of one. You sing for an audience of one. I preach in honor and obedience to an audience of one. It's not about prosperity. That is never the priority, but for Balaam it was. It was a way of error. And then the doctrine of Balaam, he said in Revelation 2.14, who taught Balak to put a stumbling block before Israel. Balak, and it goes on in that and says, he, he didn't curse them, but he told Balak, he said, if you'll do this, and you'll see in strange women, and you give them all these other things, you can cause them to fail. He didn't give them the keys, but he told them where they were hanging. The doctrine of Balaam means sin can win. Oh, a little bit ain't going to hurt. Hey, if you sleep around, nobody will know. You'll be popular. If you do this and you talk ugly, use bad language, everybody will accept you and you'll be cool. If you post certain pictures with certain body parts showing, hey, that's just the going thing. That's just that's the way it is this, in life today. I'm going to tell you something. If they ever say, well, hey, that's, that's the way life is today, it probably is wrong. Because culture never dictates doctrine. Mamas and daddies, stop letting your children be pimped out for popularity. Sin never wins. It may look like it's won. It may pad your pockets and you may live large. You may live to be 98 years old and have more money than any of your descendants can ever spend and still die broken and a castaway or even worse, lost. What does it profit a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? We all talk about eternity, but do we really believe it's there? Do we really believe there's a God we're going to have to answer for and answer to? Because most of the time we don't act like it. We think if we're not inside the church, then it won't matter. We can say things, do things, and God, you know, do you think God only resides in this building? I can promise you, I've traveled all over this world. I haven't found a place yet that I could hide from God. But God wasn't already there. You'll never hide from God. For he made the hiding places. But then I want you to notice that Balaam had a wrong ambition. He had a very deceptive heart. Look, look in verse 6. Therefore, please come at once. Curse these people. For I know 
that, you, that he whom you bless is blessed and he whom you curse is cursed. Oh, they, they poured it on, didn't they? When you want something, you'll say just about anything to get your way. Oh, I'll take out the trash. Oh, I'll go clean my room and you had any mass. Or what's worse is you start doing it all and they walk in and say, okay, what do you want? Because it's so obvious because you never do it unless you want something. You see, he had a deceptive heart. Adrian Rogers said, anything you love more, fear more, or serve more, or even value more than God is your idol. Let me say that slower. Anything you love more, fear more, serve more, or value more than God is your idol. You see, in verse 6, we see his ambition was pride. He was very prideful. He wanted people to see how important he was. And he was a sucker. They said, oh, we know. Balaam, you're so important. People you bless, they're blessed. The people you curse, you curse. You know what? One of the worst things people can do for you, congratulate you or tell you how great you are. We taught some of our kids they can do anything in the world they want. And they've looked at police officers and said that. They've looked at their teachers, called them by their first name, said, my mama said, I can do anything I want. And we have no respect. We have no inner qualities of humility because it's all about self-pride. Can I tell you something? I have two children. One of them's here this morning and they know I love them. But they're not the greatest child ever born. They're not the smartest. They're not the richest. And probably never will be. But one thing I did teach them was God doesn't love anybody more than he loves you. But he doesn't love anybody less either. And if you put your faith, hope, and trust in him and not me, life will be worth living. And anything they do good and anything that they achieve in this life will not be because they're just really, really, really great people or because their dad was an unbelievable preacher or their mom was a, was a, was a wonderful mom, but it's because they serve a great God. We've got to get over ourselves. Listen, his ambition was pride, but it was also to be powerful. We won't. We want power. We want to be able to make decisions. I'm going to tell you, the older I get, the less decisions I want to make. Y'all with me? That's why the older we get, the more we argue about what we're going to eat. Because nobody wants to make a decision. I can remember when I worked, went to work for Cobb County Government. And I started off as just a, a night maintenance man, basically. I changed light bulbs and ballast and locked up every building on the square in Marietta, and I had a keychain about that big. I'd flip him keys around, and I was looking important. I got 86 keys on this one ring, and I got two more rings. And the older I got, I realized the less keys I got, the more important I am. So you want a key? No, I don't want a key, because if I got a key, somebody's going to call me and want to get in, and I don't want to be bothered with it. You just give somebody else the keys. And I'm going to tell you something. I love being able to push a button on my truck. I don't want that importance. I, I, I want to get past all that. And, and the less power, the better. But listen, sometimes we've got to be what God wants us to be all the time. Because people want to see us in control. And wanted, he wanted people to see that's exactly what he was. He, he was in control. Man, I'm Balaam from Mesopotamia, and I can get it done. It's nice to feel important. I get that. And you need to understand God's got a purpose for your life, but never let your pride and power outrun 
who you know you are in Christ and how little you are without him. And then he was all about his own ambition of being purposeful. Look in verse 19. Now therefore, please, you also stand here tonight, he said, that I may know what more the Lord will say to me. All right, number one, he should have said no, right? But he didn't. He invited him in. Then he said, no, God said, I can't curse that which God has blessed. But then they come back again and said, oh, we still need you. Over and over this went on back and forth. And so he said, let me go back to God and I'll let you know what he said. He knew the answer. There's some things you don't have to pray about. Because we think if we pray long enough about it, we can change God's heart. The worst thing you can ever do is change God's allowance. That one verse echoes in my heart. When manna was not enough, the psalmist wrote, when they prayed, give us meat, God granted their request, but he sent leanness to their soul. You may have the biggest bank account and be the most empty person on earth. When I, when I say these names, what do you think about? Older people, Howard Hughes. Elvis Presley. Michael Jackson. Kurt Cobain. And the list goes on and on. People who reached the pinnacle of what they did. And the world loved them and fawned over them. And they were afraid of germs, afraid of people. Took their own life through drugs and at the end of a gun. My friends, our purpose is swallowed up when we understand it must be centered in what God wants. Be the, God, be the man God wants you to be. Be the mother God wants you to be. Be the teenager. Be the golf player. Be the tennis player. The baseball player. The, the, the lawyer. The pastor. The judge. The, uh, the mechanic. Uh, uh, the doctor. The nurse. Whatever your calling is, be what God wants you to be and not what anybody else says. Oh, and by the way, side note, don't ever tell somebody else what you think they ought to be in God. You let God talk to them. Don't you call something over on somebody that may cause them to stray from what God is trying to tell them to do. I've seen people tell a young person, a young man, because he's faithful to the Lord and he loves to be in God's house, you're going to make a preacher. And they kept telling him, kept telling him, kept telling him till he thought, well, everybody's saying it. It must be right. And they tried it, flopped, and they won't darken the door of the church now. Don't try to tell somebody else God's call on their life. My friends, understand, wrong is wrong. And sin is sin. No amount of prayer, perspective, or greater understanding will ever change that. But here's where it gets interesting. You see, Balaam had a wrong relationship, a wrong motivation, a wrong ambition. But along came a righteous judgment. Look in verse 22. Then God's anger was aroused because he went. You'll never escape the judgment of God. And the angel of the Lord took stand in the way as an adversary against him. And he was riding on his donkey, and his two servants were with him. Now the donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn in his hand. And the donkey turned aside out of the way, and he went into a field. So Balaam struck the donkey to turn her back on the road. Then the angel of the Lord stood in the narrow path between the vineyards with a wall on this side and a wall on that side. And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she pushed herself against the wall and crushed Balaam's foot against the wall, so he struck her again. Then the angel of the Lord went further and stood in a narrow place where there was no way to turn either to the right or left. 
And when the donkey saw the angel of the Lord, she lay down under Balaam. So Balaam's anger was aroused. He struck the donkey with his staff. Then the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey. And she said to Balaam, What have I done to you that you have struck me these three times? Balaam said to the donkey, Because you have abused me. You know, we always find it amazing the donkey spoke until we realize Balaam spoke back to it. He said, I wish there were a sword in my hand that I could kill you with it. That's what he told the donkey. So the donkey said to Balaam, Am I not your donkey on which you have ridden ever since I became yours to this day? Was I ever disposed to doing this to you? What is my track record? Have I took care of you or have I let you down? Have I drove you into a wall and out into a field and just fell down under your weight? Balaam said, well, now that you bring it up, no, you have not done that. Then the Lord opened Balaam's eyes and he saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his drawn sword in his hand. And he bowed his head and fell flat on his face. I want you to understand something today. In a world of deniers, self-justifiers, and relativists, God's holiness demands judgment. Paul wrote in Romans 1.18, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men who surpass the truth by their wickedness. I'm here to tell you, my friends, America has sown to the wind and we're reaping the whirlwind. You don't abort 60 million unborn lives and not pay the price. You don't okay living together in sin outside of wedlock and the act that God had designed for the procreation of the human race as a true act of unity between a husband and wife and pervert it into the eroticism that this world now knows as sex. You don't abuse the things that God has created in nature and worship the creature rather than the creator and not suffer the consequences. Norman Geisler wrote, God is so holy that he cannot look upon sin with approval. Thus, he cannot overlook sin forever. It must eventually be punished. For those who are saved, you have accepted what happened at Calvary. And for those of you who may not be saved and you keep thinking you can somehow work your way there, you're going to find out in your punishment that had been a lot better if you would have trusted what God poured out on His Son. You see, through this text, in verses 22 through 25, it says He drove him into a wall. Sometimes God uses in His judgment walls of prevention. He puts up walls in our life that doesn't feel good when you hit them, but His plan will not be thwarted. He will keep you in the path of righteousness for his namesake. Don't we pray that over our kids? And I'm going to be honest with you. For family members and friends, one of the hardest prayers is God, do what it takes to get their attention. Any of you stopped short of that? I have. Or I prayed that and then said, God, but don't, I pray it not take something radical. You know what I'm saying? Y'all know what I'm talking about. The truth is, we got to say, God, your way is better than my way. You know better than I do. God, may your will be done. 
but my heart is burdened and breaks for others who are not trusting you. He uses walls of prevention, but walls of protection. Listen, he wasn't just trying to punish Balaam. He was also protecting him in the judgment. Remember what's standing at the end of the alley? Right? Was it not the angel of the Lord with his sword drawn? And if Balaam makes it to the end, you say, well, I don't believe he could have. I mean, he kept doing all this stuff. Yeah, he could have. He could have got up and kicked the donkey and cussed all the way and turned around and said, I'm going, I don't care. Stupid donkey, talk if you want. I'm going to do it. And God would have struck Balaam dead. I have no doubt in my mind it was possible. Or God would have never sent him. But the angel stood there and in God's grace and judgment, he provided a wall of protection. But it, it, sometimes God walls us up from others to protect them. You know, we don't want our kids to hang out with a bad crowd. Sometimes other parents are warning their kids about yours. I know they did about me. So how do you know that? Because the first time I met Becky, her best friend introduced us. She said, who's that? She said, oh, that's, boy, he just graduated high school. That's his, is that his car? Yes, yeah, his car. It's a nice car. I like him. I want to meet him. And they go back in and her, her friend's dad owned this place. It was a game room, pizza place, blah, blah, blah. You know, back in the old days we did that kind of stuff where everything was on smartphones and on TVs. We talked with one another. We associated in person. That's how we met people. And she went inside and her friend and her friend's dad overheard them talking Said, you talking about that Brady boy? She said, yeah, I like him. She said, he ain't nothing but trouble. You need to stay away from him. He's divorced and I still married 31 years later. God had to break my heart and change my life because what he told her was right. Sometimes God puts up walls of protection. And for me, that wall was speeding tickets, wrecks, and other things to get my attention. Listen, sometimes there's walls of punishment. And do you realize that in these times, sometimes our ways or actions literally become our punishment? It was the literal path he was going that became his punishment. Martin Luther wrote, the wrath of God is real, not fictitious, and it's surely not a joke. If it were false, then mercy would be fictitious. For as the wrath, so the mercy which forgives. Christ most assuredly took upon himself the wrath of God and bore it for us. And that brings us to this point. We see God's grace-filled action. And so God used this. It said, the Lord opened his eyes and he saw the angel. In verse 22, the angel of the Lord said to him, Why have you struck your donkey these three times? Behold, I have come out to stand against you because your way is perverse before me. The donkey saw me and turned aside from me these three times. If she had not turned aside from me, surely I would also have killed you by now. But I'd let the donkey live. Balaam said to the angel of the Lord, I have sinned. say grace does not mean a release from the penalty of sin while continuing down the exact same 
road. For where sin did abound, so much more did grace abound. But shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid. You see, he leads us into fields of fellowship. He took him through the wall, out into the field, a place that he could talk to him, get his attention, and speak to him. Sometimes God wants to get us out of this path of unrighteousness that he may cause us to understand what fellowship looks like. He leads us into fields of fruitfulness. You don't plant your garden in the middle of the road. You grow the fruit in the field. He said back in verse 23, The donkey saw the angel of the Lord standing in the way with his sword drawn, and the donkey turned aside out of the way and went into the field. Where has God drove you that you may understand God's trying to do something in you and through you? So it's just so hard. Then surrender. Why is it so hard for us to understand God wants to bless us? All we have to do is understand you can't fix yourself. We ought to be running to this altar every day. You ought to be calling up here, coming up to the church saying, can you unlock? I want to come in and pray. Especially on Sunday morning when we have an opportunity to come and surrender and say, Lord, as an act of faith, I come that you may grow something in the fields of my rebellion. You want to plant a garden. But the last thing that happens, it said the donkey just fell flat down. Sometimes God will cause us to come to a screeching halt that he may ground us in truth. It had to come to that point that God could get Balaam's attention. You see, the greatest knowledge without grace is worthless. You can quote more scripture than anybody else. You may be the fastest Bible drill participant there ever was. You may have every certificate of every vacation Bible school and Sunday school pins that look like General Patton hanging from your lapel. I do. But if we're not surrendered to be everything God wants us to be, then His grace is not in place in our lives. Listen today. I want to finish with this. Someone shared this verse as I shared well, I was going to preach. It was Philip. We were talking this week about this message. He said, I love over there in 2323. I said, well, I'm glad you do because that's where the exclamation point comes. Balaam was called. Balaam rebelled. He told him what to do, how to do it, even though he wouldn't curse them. And we know God killed him for it. But I want you to understand no matter if you go forward the wrong way, if you've got the wrong ambition, relationship, or motivation, if you refuse judgment in your life to the point that God has to strike you dead, hear me today, God always wins. We serve a God who wins, he said in 23:23. There is no sorcery against Jacob, nor any divination against Israel. It now must be said of Jacob and of Israel, Oh, what God has done. C.S. Lewis, that great author, said, There is but one good, that is God. Everything else is good when it looks to Him and bad when it turns from Him. So here's my question. You want to be a winner? Do you want to serve the God who always wins? Do you want to understand your purpose and experience God's power in your life? Place all of your hope, all of your faith, and all of your trust in the holy God who sent His Son to pay for your sin at Calvary. Say, God, I want to be an Elijah, not a Balaam. God, I want you to bless me with your blessings, not the things of this world. 
for they're just temporal and they do not stay. They rust, they rot, and they fade. But your mercy endures forever. As we stand right now, without question or equivocation, God is greatest. Come and trust Him today.